Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry, and this is Career Sessions, Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you live the career you deserve, providing coaching, content, courses, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise and join today. Today, my guest is Colby Goodman. Colby is the founder of The Job Hunter, and he's been coaching professionals on how to grow and succeed in their job search and their careers for over a decade. His clients have landed amazing jobs at some of the nation's most exciting companies, including Apple, Google, Amazon, Tesla, Salesforce, Qualcomm, and Intuit, among others. Colby has been featured on CBS News, LinkedIn, The Huffington Post, and LA Weekly, and he's partnered with organizations such as Panasonic, Marriott Hotels, Thermo Fisher Scientific, the American Diabetes Organization, and the Society for Human Resource Managers, as well as several universities and schools professional organizations, and nonprofits to bring tailored workshops on career ownership and effective leadership. Prior to branching out on his own, Colby held IT-related roles with Pixel and First Allied Securities. He graduated from San Diego State with a bachelor's degree in economics. Colby, welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Jerry. I really appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about your business. You provide a mix of coaching, which I know is a big focus for you, is helping job hunters. So mm-hmm. What are some of the most important things that you tell people when they're looking for a job? In the beginning is to shift your identity. A lot of people go into this saying, I'm a job seeker. I'm looking for an opportunity where I can check enough of the boxes, where I can do the job really well, and I can be the most experienced person in the stack so that my next employer hires me. And the major shift I help my clients make from the outset is you're no longer a job seeker. You have to be an expert problem solver because those are always in demand. Those will always garner the most attention, the most interest from a decision maker, and ultimately the highest salaries. And so helping them kind of translate their communication, translate their mindset, translate their strategy and approach from trying to fill a gap in somebody's org chart into going in and saying, hey, like here are the problems I can solve. Here's how I solve them. Here's how I've been able to help previous employers with those same problems. And let's understand more through conversation, how I can have the most impact and bring the most value as your next new hire. Is getting them to make that mindset shift difficult? Yeah, absolutely. Right. We've been programmed since forever that we need to check the boxes, that we need to be the most qualified candidate. And so it's a frustration on their part because they are lacking perspective about their skill sets and their abilities because they think it's not special anymore. So mm-hmm. what I call that is the plight of the expert. When you've pushed through the hard stages of learning, of growing, when you are adept at the skill or the expertise versus a large majority of the population, and it's easy now. It's habitual. It's obvious. It's automatic. 
Yeah. And so it's helping my clients take a step back and saying, well, what am I really good at? Why am I really good at that? And how are other people and other processes benefiting from that expertise? You mentioned personal branding before we started recording. Mm -hmm. It sounds like that's a big piece that you weave in, in terms of helping them really position themselves and how do they think about themselves? It has to be right. Every part of this process is a radical exercise in clear communication. That's where the pain point is, right? You submit enough applications, you get enough rejections, you start to believe the hype, so to speak. I get to remind them is what's being rejected isn't you as a person or a professional, but it's the way that you're communicating about that person and professional. And so the personal branding element comes in because that's ultimately our first line of offense. And obviously in, in this day and age, applicant tracking systems, AI, HRISs, all the parties involved have to really understand and appreciate what you can do. Because now the barrier to entry to applying for jobs, the number of people actively looking for new work as high as it's ever been. So aligning all that personal branding into not simply what you can do, but again, the problems you can solve helps you stand out from the rest of your competition. When people come to you, have they typically already been in the job search for a while and they're not having success or do they come to you right at the beginning? I get a nice mix of both. People who come out of a job, whether it's a unexpected layoff, whether it's an escape or whether it's somebody who's been on it for a while, it's it's people who are coming to me to say, hey, I need help. What they've done isn't working or they're starting from square one. They don't know what to do and they want to shortcut themselves with an expert to avoid making the mistakes, to streamline their process and to ultimately save time, energy and pain in the process. You encourage them to take time for reflection or to resist the temptation to just kind of dive right in to mailing out resumes and hoping for the best? Yes. With a lot more turnover happening this year than the last three or four combined, there's a lot of panic happening. And I encourage my clients to slow down and really think because I am here to help them get not just the next job, but the right job. Because it's those that look for an escape continually go from one thing to the next without a lot of thought or a lot of purpose or a lot of logic that tend to repeat that painful process. And so taking a pause and looking inward to say, okay, what do I really prioritize in where I want to go? How do I want to impact that organization? What skill sets do I want to leverage? What skill sets do I want to leave behind? Because that short-term thinking combined with the long-term strategy helps more people have more stable careers, be more excited and engaged in what they're doing on a regular basis, and ultimately monetarily helps them make more money because their strategy involved versus looking at the next new and shiny thing or running away from the bad and the ugly. One of my colleagues calls this going slow to go fast, this part of the mm. process. I love that. I may have to borrow that. Feel and I think free. it's important. Yeah. It wasn't mine to give, but feel free. <laughs> I think a lot of people have what I call careers on accident. Now, starting all the way back when you graduated college or came out of the military or what have you, right? Like we get our first job, we work, maybe we apply. There's no really long-term thinking. And it starts in that 22 to 32 age range, right? Because we just, you want to get out. You want to be a purposeful adult. You want to get a paycheck. You're just trying to survive your day. And all of a sudden you wake up and you're a mid-careerist and you've been going through the motions and it's hard, if not impossible, to make a pivot or even a restart. So if 
you can afford to take the time and the energy early as possible, whether that's today <laughs> in your five years from retirement or it's today in your five months from college graduation, and really ask yourself, what is the impact that I'm capable of having? Because the more impact you can have, the more problems you can solve, not only the more valuable that you'll be, in my opinion, and what I've seen over the last 10 years and doing this amazing work is the more happy you'll be with your career. Because that's the thing that job searching kind of puts at the back burner, right? All of these employers are putting out job descriptions say, we need somebody who can do this responsibility, who has this experience. But we tend as humans to get more energy and more satisfaction about the challenge, about solving the right puzzles, about exercising the right problem-solving skills. And so it's your job as a purposeful job seeker and expert problem solver to go out there and be very clear about what are the problems you want to solve and why, because then you'll be able to seek those out more effectively, more quickly. You won't have to kiss as many frogs, so to speak, in your career journey. And then two, it'll be a perpetual motion machine in challenge and excitement, challenge and excitement. And so it no longer is the slog to go to work every day, but you're excited by the challenges presented to you on a regular basis. As they're going through that reflection part of the process, do you have particular assessments or exercises that you use with them? Yeah. I don't prescribe, quote unquote, a ton of assessments. The one that I go to with people who are completely clueless and just have no idea is the Gallup Strengths Finder 2.0. I okay. think that it's an amazing foundational, relatively inexpensive and relatively quick assessment that you can see, okay, what are my top five strengths? And then from there, we can start seeing some patterns, some connections, It allows my clients to give vocabulary to the things that they feel like are really opaque in their own skill sets and careers. The other thing that I do that admittedly is can be a feel a bit awkward that requires a lot of vulnerability is to go around to the people at work, bosses, coworkers, clients, et cetera, and ask this one straightforward and relatively simple question, which is, how have I been able to help you? I like this question for a couple of reasons. One is it's it's extremely direct and it's open-ended enough that you allow the person to take forth with it what they will. Because what you're trying to do, again, as an expert problem solver and somebody who is looking to sell not based on what you do, but the outcomes that you create by going to the people around you and getting clarity on what are they taking away from working with you on a regular basis, you can then perpetuate that forward. Because you, I think we get in our own heads a lot And again, there's an over simplification of our expertise. There's a ton of imposter syndrome and there's a healthy amount of doubt. And so by going to other people and getting some feedback, you are able to provide vocabulary and language to your impact. You're able to get out of your own head and remind yourself that you're not a fraud. It's only a matter of time until somebody catches on. And lastly, you can then communicate and sell your impact better to other people right? Because that's what we're trying to do here. We're not trying to simply do a job and check a box and be a cog in the machine. If you can communicate to your next employer, hey, this is how I've made my boss feel. This is the kind of impact I've made on my coworkers and provide concrete evidence. It goes so much farther than simply stating a laundry list of experiences, a laundry list of responsibilities or skill sets that you then force a decision maker to jump through a lot of mental hoops and say, well, how does that apply to me? This can be a really deflating process, right? How do you help mm-hmm. your clients stay positive, stay confident in themselves? First and foremost, it is a practice in balance and harmony. 
Right. I know it's a cliche that it is a full-time job to look for a full-time job, and it absolutely can be if you allow it. I think what people tend to forget and tends to be put on the back burner the quickest as they go through this process is prioritizing self and self-health. You have to be a whole human before you walk in the door or sign into the Zoom to be a whole professional. So focusing on self. And one thing that I challenge my clients to do is to maintain mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health in however way they choose, but then also find little challenges in their lives for them to pursue. That could either be something like pick up a hobby that you've let go dormant, right? You played an instrument. Maybe you were really into board games. Maybe you are an artist. Getting engaged in those positive challenges helps you overcome other challenges in your life. And secondly, you cannot allow the acquisition of that job to make you whole. You're denying happiness, you're denying fulfillment, and you're ultimately putting your own self-worth and your own self-esteem in the hands of a party that you have no control over, which just isn't really fair to you. And so helping them focus on self and progress in self then trickles over into the confidence and the excitement about going out there, looking for and securing a new opposition. I've had two times in my life where I've known I needed for a job and Mm -hmm. had time to do it. And truth be told, I probably handled the second time better than the first time. (laughs) And at the same time, in both cases, I have lots of new hobbies. Yeah. You made time for it. And, you know, some of those things have stuck with me. So I think it does matter when you get those opportunities that are in some cases forced upon you, that you take advantage of them and make the most of that time and do things Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. It's also helping them kind of shake this fear of permanency. Mm -hmm. I'm always going to be unemployed. This is always going to be how it is. And looking at kind of what's in abundance in that moment, because when you're laid off from a job, there is a scarcity of money, but there's an abundancy of time. Mm -hmm. And what I have learned, and we talked about this earlier before hit and record, you know, I have a nearly two-year-old in the room next door and nothing will make you more aware of how fast time goes than when you have a tiny, adorable, crazy calendar living with you on a regular basis. And so if you can shift your mindset from the scarcity to the abundance, you see it as freeing, you see it as being able to take control and it no longer is this burden on you. And I think that's a big part of losing your job that I don't think is talked about enough, which is how do you fill your time? Right. Mm-hmm. Yes, job gives us a paycheck, job gives us responsibilities, it gives us a social tie to other people, but it's also something we can just block in our calendars that we're doing from nine to five. Right. And so making sure that you're filling that time productively and purposefully so that you don't burn out, so that you don't yeah. settle is extremely important. Like you said, go slow to go fast. And so yeah. you can slow yourself down and really be purposeful with your day so that you can achieve your goals quicker because you're you're not scrambling. You're being very purposeful with your day-to-day. Let's get into some of the parts of a job search resumes. Mm-hmm. Um, I know you do a lot of work with clients on resumes. What makes a good yeah. resume? It's a clear communication of what your expertise is and how that expertise has been applied to create a tangible or intangible positive difference. So the way that I will kind of equate that is in a previous life of mine, I was an IT operations manager, right? a professional nerd so to speak, right? And so I enjoy the nitty gritty. I know how many gigahertz processor is in my computer. I know the exact resolution of my monitor in front of me. I know that I have a 4K webcam pointing myself so you can see me right now, right? But I'm a nerd. I'm in the minority. And that's how a lot of people tend to write their resumes. 
here's all the technical things about what I do. And they leave it at that. But we forget that we need to engage with an audience. And that audience, A, has a very quick amount of time to figure out if you're a maybe versus a no. But also it needs to be obviously apparent why you over anybody else. And so instead of talking primarily about all the technical, all of the extremely specific skill sets and abilities in a vacuum, if you can apply those so that anybody can really appreciate them. So for case in point, while my mom might not care about the gigahertz processor in her computer, she wants to know that she can have more than four tabs open in Chrome without the whole computer crawling to a halt, right? She wants to know that there's enough screen space on her computer that she can bring up her email and a Word document and QuickBooks, or the webcam is good enough to see her grandchildren when they FaceTime, right? And that's where I think the disconnect is with a lot of people is here's all the technical things. And ultimately what you're doing is everything I can do, Mr. and Mrs. Manager, you tell me how I can help you. But as consumers, as as human beings, we don't purchase primarily like that. We make decisions based on what things do for us, how it impacts us. And so the more that you can communicate in a resume, cover letter, LinkedIn, what your expertise is, what your feature set is, and how people have experienced those benefits and being very clear on those benefits helps you stand out from the rest of your competition. You talked about AI and applicant Mm -hmm. tracking systems earlier. Are you writing your resume for a person or are you writing your resume for a computer? Great question and complicated answer. It has to be both. If you skew your messaging to one audience or the other, they're both not going to be able to gain appreciation for you. And so there has to be a middle ground. And luckily nowadays, there's a ton of tools out there. The leader in the pack for me is skillsinker.com. There's jobscan.co. There's a whole ton of them that help you understand how the computer is seeing your resume. Mm -hmm. But first and foremost, I would start with the human audience in mind and saying, as you develop your documentation, make sure that you're making an obvious pairing between your feature set, skills, expertise, and experience with your benefits, outcomes, impacts, and improvements. And then also making sure that anybody can really understand it. So doing a thought exercise and covering up the name and all the personal identifiable information on your resume and say, do I understand what this person's value add is and impact is, and would I hire them? And if you can't say yes to either of those questions, then you need there's more time need to be invested in helping you surface and become exactly clear about your expertise and your benefits so somebody else can as well. And then from there, plugging that into one of those online tools so that the language that the computer is told to look for is there. Finding synonyms, finding exact language. It can be a streamlined copy and paste, kind of moving things around on your resume. But understand that the more that you apply and the more you use these tools, the easier they will become to to use. But don't be mad at yourself if your first application takes a heck of a long time. You got to rip yeah. that bandaid off so that you can do more and more and more and become more streamlined and more direct so that you can apply for more jobs and get more opportunities. Do you have a prescribed format that you like to recommend to people or is this a, it depends situation? I know a lot of people tend to want to make their resumes look good, formatting fonts, colors. The problem with that approach is you can't lipstick on a pig. If your content of your resume is not being clear with that value add and that impact, doesn't matter what the resume looks like. The content has to sell you. 
I ultimately recommend making it as simplistic and as direct as possible so that A, it plays nice with those applicant tracking systems, those AI systems, because it's not a human, it's a computer, right? right. And so it's not going to take the time to try to logic and parse its way out of a complex resume format. And also two, an overly stylized and complicated resume can be a sign and a red flag to an employer that somebody doesn't really know what their value is. They're trying to make for a lack of expertise and impact with beautification and prettiness. With that all said, the only exception I would say is that if you are in the graphic arts, if your resume can be an example, a part of your portfolio almost, then yes. But if you're an accountant, if you're a software developer, if you're in sales, you don't need an over-stylized and overly complicated resume format. Do you counsel people on how far back they should go with their work experience or when they should stop listing what year they graduated from school? I say about five years because after that, really what somebody is going to be hiring on, not that you can check a box and you have a degree, but potentially leverage that expertise and that education to contribute even more on the job. Or you have proven that not only can you hold down a job for a good amount of time, but you also committed something for four plus years and get a degree. So that's kind of my response for graduation date. As far as how back you should go, for better or for worse, employers are a what have you done for me lately crowd. So I mm -hmm. recommend going back about 10 to 15 years for those mid and late careers. Because mainly even before that, you're going to have a heck of a hard time proving viability and applicability for the modern day. But also too, you then start to jeopardize age discrimination, which we definitely want to try to avoid at all costs. Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there are exceptions. Like my first work experience was in the military. Mm -hmm. Being able mm -hmm. to showcase that, I think that actually helps because veterans are a protected class. And yeah, that certainly plays into your attractiveness as a candidate. But for me, that was 30 years ago. So there probably are some exceptions in terms of the 10 or 15 years back. And that's the beauty and the curse about resumes is that because mm. we all come to the table with so many different experiences, so many different life paths, so many different values and impacts and skills, it is kind of a case-by-case -case basis. You know, There are some best practices, but really as you come to those individual questions of yourself as you write your own resume, you have to ask yourself, is dedicating real estate to this experience yeah. on my resume going to help or hurt my value add? Yeah. And you talk about real estate. I mean, to me, two pages is always sort of like, that's the max, right? Front and back, one piece of paper. I know particularly in academic circles, you have a CV that can go on for pages, particularly mm -hmm. with all of the research that somebody might have published. But outside of academic circles, I find that when somebody's got a resume that's really that long, it makes me wonder whether they can boil things down. There's a fear of lack of brevity. You're not respecting the reader's time. And you're not clear in what your pitch is. So yeah, I would agree. Two pages is a max. If you have, I would say, five to seven years of experience, you should be absolutely under one page. And you just want to make sure that you're maximizing the impact of every spur inch of your resume so that it sells you appropriately. It resonates with your audience. LinkedIn is a compliment mm -hmm. to a resume. How should your LinkedIn profile be similar and how should it be different from what you put into your resume? That's a great question. So, you know, LinkedIn is one of the largest, not only job boards, but recruiting communities in the world. And it's being used as its own internal applicant tracking system by countless number of, of 
recruiters, large and small, third-party, internal. And so there should be a lot of overlap between your resume and your LinkedIn profile because it's being scanned by AI robots, by scrapers, by it's helping you. It's being put into a database to understand what is your relevancy to these jobs. So the body of your resume, all the experience should be relatively the same. You should maximize out things like skill sets, things like endorsements, things that aren't going to be on your resume that should definitely be on your LinkedIn profile. Obviously, as a professional headshot with all the AI tools out there, you can definitely get one built by a computer. Is these little computers in our pockets that have great cameras on them, our smartphones. As long as you're in a well-lit area, you're dressed well, and you're having somebody else take the photo, that's a great starter headshot. Making sure that you're maximizing the number and the quality of your connections is another big thing with LinkedIn because a lot of the job search and a lot of success in the job search is a game of the six degrees of separation. Who do you know? Who do they know? Who do they know? Exactly. And what's great about LinkedIn is that it gives you a visual representation of not only your network, but your network's network. And that's where the real magic happens. So making sure that you're adding people on LinkedIn, people that you know, people that can vouch for you and and will do a favor for you. And even if it's just simply an introduction to somebody else. And then lastly, LinkedIn is a great way for you to build up that expertise and a thought leader in your space, whether it's through creating original content, posts, or articles, simply just sharing or commenting on other people's articles and posts. The more that you can be visible, the more you can be top of mind on the platform helps you be more visible to the right people looking to engage and hire experts like yourself. Yeah, very well said. Target companies. I assume you work with your clients Mm -hmm. on developing a list of target companies. How do you recommend that they go through that process? Nowadays, especially the proliferation of work from home, right? It's about how do you want your work to fit in with your lifestyle? The silver lining of COVID work from home shutdown and and lockdowns is that we had to reevaluate our lives as we had such a big disruption. And so a lot of my clients come to me and say, I want a job that contributes to my life. I don't want my work to rob from that. So understanding how does that look like? What are the demands of the employers? Are you work from home? Are you hybrid? Are you fully in the office? How are they supporting their employees? What does the retirement look like? What does PTO look like? Making sure all those things are there first. Because no matter how great the job is, if it feels like you're shackled to it against your will, it's Mm -hmm. not going to be a long-term viable option. Now, once all of those requirements are hit, then saying, okay, what does the company do? Why do they do it? How do I want to contribute to the greater mission and vision of the organization? Right. An ideal company would make everybody from the CEO to the janitor feel like they're contributing to the greater good and understanding how is that company proactively marketing themselves as somebody who wants to proliferate that. So going to the company's website, seeing how are they marketing their opportunities to their potential candidates. Good companies know that they ultimately have two sets of clients. They have the clients that buy their service or good, and they have the people who they want to buy their expertise from on a regular basis with a job. So what does the company stand for? What do the employees have to say about them? What is your long-term viability there? Can you see an upward trajectory? And then lastly, as you start to solidify those target companies, going out and getting first-person perspectives, right? Leveraging your network, your LinkedIn to six-degree separation yourself into talking to somebody in that company, maybe even the role to get a first-hand account of what it's like. And then from there, 
leveraging that relationship that you've built to say, hey, like, you know, can I put you down as a reference? Do you guys have a referral fee inside? Can I put you down as a person that referred me? So if I get the job, you get a nice bonus. Humanizing yourself in this process, especially as you look for your target organizations, is going to be key because almost guarantee is your target companies, they won't be unique to you. You're going to have a lot of competition going into those roles because those companies have done a good job about developing a culture that people want to be a part of. So the more that you can humanize yourself and kind of maybe either get out from behind the keyboard or interact with other humans as you research and as you engage with these companies is going to give you a clear indication of where you want to go next and be able to crack open the door to go in and actually get an opportunity. Informational interviews are a part of this process. Typically, when you're trying to figure out what companies to target, you know, you talked earlier about the cliche of, you know, looking for a job as a full-time job. To me, this <laughs> is a place where you could easily make mm-hmm. doing informational interviews a, a full-time job. How do you recommend to people to strategically approach this part of the process so they get as much bang for their buck out of it as possible? Mm-hmm. So I think the ultimate goal of an informational interview isn't to get the information, but is to start building a genuine relationship. Because that person can then become a referrer, it can become an introducer, it can become an opportunity giver. So if you're going into that informational interview and making it all about you, asking for advice, asking for guidance, all this stuff, it can turn into this unintentional therapy session, which makes the other person maybe a little bit uncomfortable. Mm. Your goal in these conversations is to learn about the other person as much as possible. Engage, engage, engage. Look for, look for perspective, look for experience. Get curious about what they do. In that, you're going to get all your questions answered, but in a way where it doesn't feel like an interrogation. And I think having a goal for informational interviews is key. I usually recommend my clients have a one to 10 ratio of reach outs, 10 reach outs. And then hopefully out of that, you can schedule one conversation. I also don't recommend anybody call them informational interviews because that'll be a great way to, to get a quick no. But from there, using that as a springboard to continue to engage. Ending the conversation with, hey, I really appreciate this time today. I don't want to take any more of your time. Do you mind if we still stay in touch? And is there anybody else you'd recommend I talk to as I go through this part of my journey? And that leapfrogging, that springboarding from person to person to person grows your network, grows your visibility, and ultimately can contribute positively to you landing a job quicker. Search firms. Where do search firms mm-hmm. fit into this part of the process? Yeah, I think recruiters and search firms can be an amazing tool for those looking for work to leverage. When I've had people come to me and who have had lackluster experiences with those providers, it is mainly due to a lack of understanding of the relationship. You have to remember that you are not the client. The client mm-hmm. is the company that is looking to hire somebody. They're going through a search firm to act as that intermediary. You as the candidate are the product, which is a role we're really not used to serving, honestly. And so with that perspective, reminding yourself that you need to be easy to work with, your value add and your impact needs to be clear. You need to be able to follow directions. And you need to know that the more communicative, the more active you can be, it is a signal to a good recruiter that they're going to be able to place you quickly. They're going to be able to place you effectively hopefully they get paid quicker. So the more that you can leverage and come from that perspective of being easy to work with, about being the obvious choice, you can open yourself up to a whole slew of jobs 
that aren't even posted anywhere because they're behind the hidden walled garden of these search firms. Well, I mean, people talk a lot about the hidden job market. Could be the ones mm-hmm. that they're working on, could be the ones that the companies just haven't posted publicly as well, which comes back to the importance of networking. So what are some of the other things that you should do to get the word out there and network as effectively as possible? The number one thing I see people doing wrong as they go out to network is they feel like they have to go out and make a whole bunch of new connections. Yeah. And they forget that they've spent an entire lifetime making these social and emotional deposits in the people around them. Hmm. And when you're looking for work actively, when you're unemployed, when you've suffered a trauma and a separation that is losing your job, that is an absolute okay and welcome time to start taking some withdrawals out of that social emotional bank. So before you go out there and try to network with new people, make sure that you've engaged with everybody in your own circle. Let them know what you're looking for. Let them know how you're doing it. Give them your perspective. Even if they're in a totally different industry doing something totally different than you, the power of the network that we've been talking about all day here is where those hidden gems come up, right? Because maybe you don't know every single person that your neighbor knows, but he or she might say, oh, well, you should talk. I have my friend Diana and she works in your industry and you guys should connect. It's those kind of serendipitous connections that you need to go out there and get. But unless you're actually actively engaging with the people around you and letting it known what your purpose is and what your actions are in this process, they can't help you. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think that's goes to the other part of this thing too, is people do want to help you. I have a very optimistic view of humanity and our impact yeah. on others. I think people do want to help, but you have to make the ask for that help obvious, direct, and actionable. I've been doing this for over a decade now, and I get emails on a regular basis with the title of, can you help me find a job? And that's really it. And yes, obviously, yes, I can help you find a job. That's my job. That's my passion. That's my purpose. But if you don't give me anything to work with, you're going to go to the bottom of my priority pile. That's going to take a lot of mental energy, a lot of sleuthing, a lot of puzzle solving to figure out how I can help you. So as a candidate goes out there, as somebody listening goes out there to engage their network, make the ask obvious. Hey, JR, good to see you last week at church. Like, Wanted to follow up with my job search. I've attached my resume. Here are the last three jobs I applied for. I went on your LinkedIn and I saw you're connected to these three people at these different companies. Are you close enough with them to maybe give me an introduction over email? Right. Like, Make the ask obvious. I think too many people are, feel like they've been burned in networking and asking for help in their job search, not because nobody wants to help them, but because the ask isn't clear enough. It's not good enough. So enhance your ask and then your help will be enhanced as well. Let's talk about interviewing. Mm-hmm. What are your top interview tips when someone gets to that point in the process? Like I've said throughout every step of this process is you have to present yourself as an expert problem solver, almost like a consultant, somebody coming in there as a hired gun to solve a very specific set of problems. The foundation at which I teach interviewing, I've termed EPPI, stands for empathy, positioning, proof, and impact. Admittedly, this is not how interviewers interview, right? So as you apply this format, it's going to be a little bit awkward. You're going to have to break the social expectations of what a job interview is because an interviewer is used to asking very open-ended, very generic questions, and the interviewee is caught with the nerves and the anxiety of trying to tell a story that they hope hits the mark. The first part of Epi is empathy. So, And with that, you have to get clarity. You have to 
relate to what the actual problem is. So next time you get a interview question that is extremely open-ended or vague, your goal is not to simply jump in and answer the what of the question, but to take a beat and to reflect back to understand why is the question being asked in the first place? So for example, can you tell me a little bit about your ability to overcome client objections in a sales process? And you respond with, yeah, you know, as a salesperson, I've everything in the book, but I'm curious, this is where you turn it and you get clarity. What are some of the trends you're seeing in objections with your current target set? And with that question, you're going to have the interviewer give you clarity on what exact problem they're looking to solve, hopefully with the person in the next role. And so by asking good questions and getting some of the answers to the test, you can then provide clarity on your positioning, what expertise, what experience, what skill set you can use and have used to solve that exact problem, present a concrete example proof about how you've solved that exact problem in the past, end it with I, impact, about kind of ideal outcomes that you've been able to provide. But then you end it with, I'm just curious, what kind of outcomes, what kind of differences, what kind of changes would you like the next person's role to make addressing that problem? And let the interviewer tell you what they're hoping to gain. Because that does a couple things. One is it makes it extremely clear what is the ideal outcome the employer wants out of the next person. So that if you go down the road and get the offer, you can count on your salary with, here's the actual value that I'm bringing. And the second part, and then really this is probably the most like Jedi mind trick thing that I coach on. If somebody's looking at you in the eye and they're telling you the value that they want, they are equating you with bringing that value. Very true. Your epi framework, it's a little bit, has some overlap with concept of source stories, right? Situation, obstacle, Mm -hmm. action, results. But I guess the difference between those two is you're putting empathy into the mix here and also proposing that people kind of turn it around and use whatever they've just covered with a question, following Mm -hmm. it with a question so that they can actually get information back Mm -hmm. about what the person's looking for. Yeah. Because you're ultimately coaching the interviewer how to interview a little bit, obviously politely and gently. But again, as the expert problem solver, you have to get to the core of the problem. And more times than not, the questions that you're asked are so generic and surface level that nobody's clear. Now, understandably, the interviewer doesn't want to spoon feed you the answers, right? But the questions that you ask not only give you clarity about how to answer, but it also gives the interview an understanding of how you think. Because if I know how you think, if I know what your logic is, if I know what questions you ask, it allows me to build more trust with you, even if I know you don't know the answer, which is the ultimate question mark any good manager is trying to figure out is, how do I trust this person to do the right thing when I'm not around to tell them or when they don't have a clear idea on the outset of how to do it? When you feel like an interviewer is going down a path of asking questions that maybe don't feel super important to you or on target with what you want to be able to say, how do you sort of work on getting your point across without doing the politician thing of just completely not answering Answering the question that was asked? (laughs) Yeah. I think going back to understanding the why of the question. So two phrase hacks that I want to share with your listeners is, um, help me understand is a great way to start a question that doesn't put somebody on the defensive. Hey, help me understand why improving that metric is really important to you and the team. So you get clarity about why the question is being asked in the first place. 
or I'm curious. That's another great way to diffuse an answer. Even after going through some of that, if you're not extremely clear, a couple things. A is you can just simply add, hey, can you help me understand the relevancy to that question to the job? Why is that a big concern for you? And if they're unable to articulate themselves well, or are they just soapbox going to nowhere? That is a prime indication. That's probably not the best for you. I encourage and coach on this line of questioning in an interview so that A, you get clarity, but B, it also allows you to establish a collaborative partnership with a manager. Because if that person is not one to answer your questions, or maybe even worse, doesn't have an answer to your questions, that is not going to change if and when you get the job. So by pushing back, by asking for clarity, it helps you elevate the really, really good and helps you dismiss the potential nightmare. When is the right time to put salary expectations on the table or ask some of those other maybe questions that feel kind of uncomfortable relating to your needs and the role? As early as possible. A good recruiter will breach that subject in an initial screener. Thank goodness a lot more states here are requiring a salary range in a posting. It's a little bit more transparent, it's not 100% yet, but your goal is to get a range. There's a ton of good phrasing to use when you ask what that is, because you should never give a number first and foremost, and you should ask for the range. That way, expectations are clear from the outset. And obviously, your goal in the conversation is to get yourself to the top of that range as quickly as possible. And the best way to do that is to continue to understand how you can add value so that when they give you the offer letter and they give you that number, you know that that offer is not really their best offer. And you can counter with saying, hey, you know, thank you for giving me 100 a year. I appreciate that. Based on what I talked to with Bob and Sharon and Bill, they want me to work on project A, project B, and project C. And they mentioned that if I can do all this, then I can bring an extra $75,000 worth of value this year. So based on that, based on the risk, based on the chances, I'd like to ask for $115,000. you are not relying on what the market will bear, air quotes included, because your employer, no offense to anybody, doesn't really care what the market bears. They're paying you what they think you're worth. And so it's your job to make it abundantly clear what you're worth and why you're asking for what you're asking so that they see that they can still get a positive return on investment in you moving forward. If you get into a process and decide that an opportunity is just not the right fit for you, what's the best way to remove yourself from the process without burning bridges? Own the separation. (laughs) the old cliche about breaking up with a partner, like it's not you, it's me, right? And you say, you thank them for the opportunity and their time. And you say like, to make sure that I don't waste any more of your time, I'm going to graciously remove myself from the process and give a reason. I don't think I could do the best job for you here, or this isn't really on my expertise, or you know, the expectations are something that I don't feel like I can fulfill right now, right? Be honest, be upfront, And then the goal would be, again, to maintain that relationship. Because if you've made it past all the applicants and into the interview stage, you've beat out 95 to 99% of the other applicants and somebody has seen your value. Now, whether or not it's been a match of value add and value in return, you you have to learn that more in the interview process. But if you feel like it's time to withdraw, you need to then maintain that relationship because it may not be a good match today. All right, let's spend the last few minutes just on your background. So you were doing IT work. You mentioned you Mm -hmm. were an IT operations nerd, your word, before you went down this path. What prompted the shift? I was doing IT operations management for over a decade. And 
towards the end of my tenure, kind of realized that I was working with people I didn't really like on projects that did not get me excited, making people I'd never met a bunch of money. And I just realized that's not the value I want to put into the world. I wasn't challenged anymore. And it just, it didn't align with who I was. And so as I did a bunch of introspection and self-discovery, realized that I had gotten to slow real fast. Yeah. So I slowed it down and I said, okay, what am I really good at? What can I do? What is my value prop? In doing that, that evaluation realized that throughout my time in IT, I was able to gain and earn as much success and admiration and respect in lieu of not being the most technical person. And it was ultimately because I was able to connect with other people, to forge relationships, to understand dynamics of teams and people, and to advocate for myself and my teams in an effective way that got me as far as I did in the process. So I said, okay, I didn't know everybody couldn't do that. If I'm good at self-promotion, ownership, and connection, how do I take that and build a profitable business that allows me the lifestyle that I want and allows me to have the impact that I want? And it was this. It was a job where I helped other people find meaningful work, where I helped them understand and take ownership of the expert that they are, help them overcome their own mental and emotional hurdles as they go through this, and empower them about creating a career that they're actually excited about. A place that I can definitely attest to being in a place where I was totally burnt out. I was totally disengaged. And I needed somebody like me in that exact moment. Beyond helping job seekers, what other kind of coaching work do you do? I'm working with improving the experience on the other side of the interview process. So I'm working with businesses and business owners to optimize their candidate experience. In the last 10 years, I've been blessed enough to work with over you know 4,000 individuals and do keynotes and workshops to over 15,000 individuals. And I have heard every horror story, every cringe story in the books when it comes to poor interview experiences. Ill-prepared, late, bad questions, bad follow-up, all those things that leave a sour taste in every candidate's mouth. And also have heard things that decision makers, managers, companies are doing, I believe subconsciously or unconsciously that are driving away their best potential new hires. So working with these companies to optimize what the candidate flow looks like, to create a job description that doesn't look like a laundry list of skills and experiences, but actually talks more about what are the problems you need the next person to solve establishing an intake that is manageable so you're not drinking from the fire hose of a thousand applications, and then creating an offer process that starts and establishes a partnership with your new employee before they officially become your new employee. It really does go both ways. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes companies forget that. Less though, I I feel like candidate experience and people being attuned to the fact that it is a two-way street, it feels much more common than it used to, where it was very much felt like I'm doing you a favor by you know even interviewing you. Online transparency, social media yeah. is a great catalyst for all that. It's getting a lot better. It's it's the best it ever has been in the history of you know, modern society. But I think there's a lot of ways that people are, like I said, I think unintentionally pushing away great talent and it ultimately results in everybody being unhappy. So what's ahead for you? You've been doing this for a decade. What do you want out of the next few years of your career? For me, it's about providing this kind of help to those who haven't thought about it or think that it's not possible. Whether it's those that have had nonlinear lives 
I would argue we all have, but those who feel like that nonlinear life and experience is a detriment versus an asset, those who maybe not be able to afford in high quality one-on-one support, and just making sure that people are taking advantage of the knowledge out there and the network. Looking to expand my practice with some digital courses and products so that people can go about this process at a lesser investment and on their own time and be empowered to not settle for what life throws at them, to be a self-advocate and to own the great things that they do so they can do more of it for the right people. Great words to end on. Thanks for doing this with me today. Absolutely. Yeah, it was good to get to know you a bit and uh, get your thoughts on job search advice, given that you've done this for many thousands of people, (laughs) as you mentioned earlier. It's been a wild journey, but I appreciate having me on. Thank you so much. Sure thing. You have a good day. You too. I want to thank Colby for joining me today to talk all things related to job searches and the broader work he does at Job Hunter. If you're ready to take control of your career, you can visit pathwise.io. And if you'd like more regular insights, you can become a member. It's free. You can also sign up on the website for our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.